You're listening to audio from Church of the Incarnation. To donate to our ministry or find out more, please visit incarnationcfl.com. I was preparing for this this week. I'm like, I'm not going to preach on the gospel, by the way, but I was sarcastically thinking, as there's this constant reel of sarcasm in my mind constantly. I'm like, I wonder how many pastors are going to preach sermons on poor parenting this week with the story of Jesus' parents <laughs> losing him, right? Like, should we, <laughs> should we go that direction with this? It's like, you what? You lost your kid and then you're mad at him about it? What's going on here? Like, oh, jeez. Maybe I should preach on that. I don't know. Um, Awesome story. Not what I'm going to talk about today, though. I'm, I'm, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're continuing on a two-week series, a two-week journey into uh, what this season is about, the incarnation. That, that means God wrapping himself in human flesh, which, by the way, um, that's the name of our church. Did you know that? So, yeah, well, welcome to Church of the Incarnation. So, um, 16 years ago, when this whole thing got started at Church of the Incarnation, uh, we were named... Uh, for, for this reality that was kind of cool, right? So uh, we were named uh, with this thought in mind that God, who hasn't left himself in some undefined sort of vague sense, has come to be known, to, to live among us, to define himself in the person and work of Jesus. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, and I want to talk about this morning, and particularly want to talk about the incarnation this way. So th- this is where I'm headed, okay? Um, the incarnation... God becoming human has a way, or at least should have a way, of radically changing how you see yourself. And I go, wait a second, we're talking about Jesus becoming God. What's, what's his incarnation got to do with how I see myself? A lot. And so that, that's what I want to unpack this morning. Um, that the, the incarnation, God wrapping himself in human flesh, should have a way of invading how you see yourself. Now I'm going to start with a quote from Irenaeus, the second century bishop of Léons. I think that's somewhere in France. I should say it like Léon. All right. All right. My, um, my, da- <laughs> my dad, is, his family's from France, and I remember once we were at the tire store, and my dad's like, I'd like to buy a set of Michelin's. <laughs> you really did say this and the guy's turn I'm like sir what you talking about <laughs> I'm like my dad means Michelin he just thinks he needs to say it in French anyway whatever we want some Michelins all right <clears throat> um, listen to this Irenaeus Bishop of Lyon says this um, about the incarnation God became what we are human that he might bring us to be even what he is himself. Okay, God becomes who you are, the stuff of humanity, so that you might, and here's where I'm going this morning, that your very life would literally be knit together with his entirely, so that your, this is crazy, all right? I don't understand this, that your identity would be his identity, that the two of you would literally share one identity together, that your life would in every way be hidden together with his life, so much so that there, in some sense, When God sees you, he sees Jesus. He sees the two of you together, your life hidden with his in a way that you become what he is, perfect. Wait a second, I'm not perfect. That's true. The mystery of the incarnation is that you are not who you are. And you are who you are not. You are not Jesus, but you share in his life. 
You are not Savior. You are not perfect. You are not without sin. But what you're going to see over and over in Scripture this morning is, and I don't get this. This does not make any sense to me. This is one of those, I don't get it, but I'm glad I got it kind of things, okay? That God somehow, in some mysterious, wonderful way, has knit your life together with the person and work of Jesus so that you two have become the same stuff. If you don't believe me, just look at your collect. Everyone go to the first page of your bulletin. This, look at this. Look at what, look at what the, the collect of the day is supposed to be telling you today. All right, listen. O God, who wonderfully created and yet more wonderfully restored the dignity of human nature. So that's an incarnation idea. God comes down to restore the dignity of humans. Look, grant, look what you just prayed. Grant that we may share the divine life of him who humbled himself. Like, what is that? Share the divine life. That your life would be knit together with the life of Jesus in such a way that his righteousness, which means perfection, is your perfection. His goodness, your goodness. You're like, wait a second, that does, that's not fair. I know, it's beyond fair. It's grace. It's grace. All right, so think about this for a minute, okay? This is so loaded with thought. Christianity, I, I really do firmly believe this to be true. Christianity isn't something you do. It's something you are. I mean, there's a huge difference there. I mean, if you see Christianity as something you do, rules you follow, a moral code that you obey, then it's always external to you. And it's about, have I measured up to some external standard? And that is bankrupt. It will not lead you towards godliness. It will not produce flourishing and peace in your life. If it's external to you, if it's something you do, if it's a moral activity, you're missing it. That is not what Christianity is. Christianity is not what you do. It's something you are. It's not about doing new things. It's about being new on the inside. And to be a Christian is to be remade into a new humanity with a new father, not Adam. Here's where we're going. Who from his sin you inherit death. But to have a new father, a new head, Jesus, who from his righteousness you inherit life. Let's talk about atonement for a minute, shall we, at 9 a.m.? Why not? Let's get theological here, all right? So well, let's, let's talk about ideas of atonement. How, just, how, just how is it that God saves us, and just what does it mean for Jesus to do something for us? Okay, in the Western world in the 21st century, so past the Protestant Reformation, from about 1600 until now, there's been a primary way that Christians have thought about what it means to be saved. What does it mean for God to do something for us, to atone for our sins? And I'm going to tell you the way most Christians have thought about it. This comes from John Calvin, Martin Luther, the heavy hitters of the Protestant Reformation, have taught us in Western Europe to think about Christianity this way. Okay, That what it means to be saved is it means to have a God who substituted for your place in the courtroom of heaven and who took on himself God's wrath that you deserve to face. Now, this view of atonement is called penal substitution. It's the major way we think about what it means to be a Christian today in Western Europe. Think about those words, penal substitution. So what we've been taught to think about, and this is not wrong, it's not wrong at all. I just want to add to the picture today, is, is that you are in, in God's courtroom on trial for your life, you, you dirty, rotten sinner, right? And you deserve to face God's wrath because of your sin. Okay, but here comes Jesus, and he comes into the courtroom, penal, you know, penalty, right? And he stands before God the judge, and he takes the wrath from God that you deserve. 
He substitutes for you in the courtroom and takes the wrath of God that you deserve. Okay, that's entirely true, and it's something you should believe and grasp, okay? But it's an idea that what it means to be saved is it means to have a God who does something for you, external to you, right? There's Jesus over there, here's me, and there's Jesus, and he's standing in front of God for me, taking God's wrath. That's not wrong. But I think the incarnation adds to this picture in an important way. Not not only did God do something for you, standing before God the judge, taking your wrath, but he did something as you. He actually came into your humanity. He God out there comes and wraps himself in the stuff of you and lives your life in a way that you could have never lived it, perfect, without sin. And then, in some crazy way, invites you into his life so that you would share in it, share in his perfection from now into eternity. That God, salvation is not just God substituting for you, out there external to you, but it's him doing something as you and therefore doing something in you, remaking you in every way, righteous and perfect. And that's not who you are, but it is who you are, and I don't get that. So I want to introduce to you a new way to think about atonement. And, and it really does come from Irenaeus, the guy I quoted just at the outset of the sermon. And it's this view recapitulation. It's one of the historical views of atonement that stood right alongside penal substitution for almost 2,000 years, but we don't think about it much in the Western world. I want you to think about it now. Recapitulation, what does that mean? It's the idea that you have a new head. Your, now think about your physical body. This is weird, right? Your physical body has a new head. The person of Jesus. Imagine, just, just stick his head on your head, right? His perfect life, your life. His resurrection, your resurrection. And and that you, just as Jesus is your head, you share in who he is in every way. You are gathered up into his life. His death, your death. His life, your life. You have fundamentally be transformed. And I want you to even think about the English word atonement. At one meant. That's what that word means. The, the, the English word atonement means two separate things gathered together into one. And I, I mean, the more I say this, the more ridiculous it sounds. And I'm like, do I even believe this? Yeah, I believe this. Do I understand this? No, I do not understand this. But here's what I'm saying to you. That the mystery of the incarnation is that your life, your All of your human life has been gathered, atonemented, has been gathered together with all of Jesus' life so much that God puts them together as one and offers you right before God with a perfect Jesus in such an entangled way that God can't see the difference between the two. And that's your identity. That's who you are. It's not something you do. It's not external to you. It's inside you. It's the very substance of your being remade through the person and work of Jesus. I'm like, dang, I'm, I, don't, I don't get that. So I'll just give you some Bible verses. Listen to this, Romans chapter 5. Listen to this. Therefore, just as sin, I'm starting in verse 12. Just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, 
and death spreads to all through sin. Let's skip down to verse 17. Because of the one man's trespass, that's Adam, death exercised dominion through that one. It spreads to all of humanity. Much more surely will those who have received the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul's trying to tell us in Romans. This is thick, I know. That Adam, your first father, gave you something awful, sin and death. But Jesus comes as the new Adam, that's what Paul's trying to say, who gives you something else, righteousness and life. And just as the substance of who you are, like, I, where did you come from? Well, you came from Adam. All of us here are literally related to this guy. You, you came from him in a very physical way. What Paul's trying to say is, you have a new person from whom you came. And you're connected to him in a real way, just as you were connected to Adam. But it doesn't produce death. It produces life. Listen to this, Romans chapter 6. Think about this idea of atonement, at one meant. Your life, Jesus' life, literally put together as though they're two things. This is what Paul's saying in Romans 6, verse 3. Do you not know? It's like, no, we don't know, Paul, tell us. (laughs) That all of us who've been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, We have, listen to this, we have been buried with him into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we might walk in newness of life. Here's Paul saying, when Jesus died, you died. He's knitting your life together with his. And when he raised from the dead, you raised from the dead. Listen, he keeps going. For This is crazy. Verse 5, for we have been united with him in a death like his, and we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Like, remember what I said at the very beginning? Like Christianity is not something you do, it's something you are. Like, do you see yourself, like that just, what? Oh, I thought it was about doing good things so God will love me more. No. It, it's about understanding that you've been entirely redone through the person and work of Jesus that you literally share in his resurrection life. It's like, well, I can't send that away. You're right. <laughs> That's good news. Well, what do I do now? If it's not about doing stuff, what do I do? It's like, well, do the next thing and the right thing. Just love God. Be thankful. What comes out of that? Do that. Do more of that. I'm like, well, that's pretty simple. Yes, it is. In a really troublingly difficult way, right? <laughs> Keep reading, right? Verse 6. We know, this is so crazy, that our old self was crucified with him. And that our body of sin was destroyed. Verse 9, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. So we must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul means in Galatians 2 when he says this. Listen to this, Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I mean, we, we hear these words and we just don't think about them. I have been crucified with Christ. What? Yeah, his death, you're dead. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. One of the things, I mean, the the central act of Anglican worship is the table, Eucharist. And you know, there's a lot that we're doing here, but one of the things that we're doing here 
is we're celebrating this reality that God has caught our life up into Jesus' life in such a way that they literally become one in some mystical way. That's, that's, that's what's supposed to be embedded in the act of actually eating and drinking, what we say is the body and blood of Jesus. And where does that come from? Listen to this. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 56. This is Jesus speaking. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me. It's like, why would God want us to think about eating his flesh and drinking his blood? Because he wants you to really believe that his stuff is your stuff. His life is your life. His body, your body. His actions, your actions. His righteousness, your righteousness. So much so that you would digest and ingest the two so they become the same thing. That is so weird, but we just don't think about it. We're like, oh yeah, Jesus loves me. All right? And there, think about this. There is a huge difference between saying I am loved by Jesus and I am one with Jesus. Do you hear that? One is so subjective. You're up here, it's like, oh, I am loved by Jesus today, I think, maybe, partially. I'm, I'm, am, I lo- am I loved by Jesus? I think, I'm, I think I'm loved by Jesus. I don't know, am I? How many, how many sins have I done this week? Right? And we get that. We're, we all sort of put ourselves on that spectrum. It's like, I'm loved by Jesus, kind of. Right? There's a huge difference with that and saying, no, I'm, I'm literally one with Jesus. His life, my life. Listen, John 6. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me. I in him, just as the Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is what Paul means. I'm going to give you three more verses to think about, and I'm going to sit down, okay? This is what Paul means in Romans 8 when he says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are, anyone know the next two verses? In Christ. It's like, why does Paul use this idea of in Christ? Like, what does that mean? In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. It's this idea of recapitulation, this idea of at one meant that his humanity is yours. 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 17, listen to this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. One more. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. I regard everything as lost that I may gain Christ, being found in him. It's everywhere in Scripture. Not, and Paul says, not having a righteousness of my own, the one that comes through Jesus. In him. In him. With him. He, he did something not just for you, but he did it as you. And he did it with you. So that you might become what he is. I mean, if you don't believe me, just listen to other dead bishops. I'm going to give you another one. Ambrose from the 4th century. Listen to this. Bishop of Milan. Now that's a place I'd like to be bishop for a while right there. Let's do that. Listen to this. According to our nature, he offered himself. That he might do a work in us. Beyond our nature. The NF say one more time the incarnation means that you are not who you are. And you are who you are not. Thanks for listening. Would you like to connect with our church? Join us online or in person every week at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit incarnationcfl.com to learn more. Have a great week.